Barukata Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitvata betivanu, la'asok bedivrei Torah, veha'arevna Adonai Eloheinu, et divrei Torateka befinu ufi amka betisrael, venie anaknu vetzaetza enu, vetzaetza e amka betisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka, velom de Torateka lishma. Barukata Adonai hamlame Torah leamo Yisrael. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. May it be soon in our days that we see the return of Messiah Yeshua, the rebuilding of the Beit HaMikdash, and the gathering in of the exiles from the four corners of the earth, the fullness of the Gentiles, the fullness of the nations, the fullness of the non-Jews, being brought into covenant and converted into Jews, like serious Jews, like get you some Jews. Soon in our days that the final redemption may be fully manifest and man, Brukashem, all that good stuff. So again, I want to apologize for my voice because I'm a little nasally, had a little sinus decongestion going on over here. But, you know, Brukashem, we're going to keep the party rolling. This is the grand finale of the G.O. series. I have been just way behind on posting since Vayetse. There's been kind of like a little dropout going on. And so I finally got back on track with Hanukkah. But uh, the studying has not stopped. The source compiling has not ended. Uh, so Baruch Hashem on that. And uh, between getting new Avengers and uh, new people coming into Sar Shalom and Lapid Judaism, like it's been been pretty busy. So, and uh, one of our Avenger characters is Geulat, and he grows the size of a skyscraper, kind of like Giant Man, and uh, he's definitely been doing that, so I've had my hands kind of full, and uh, Dr. Sakal and I have been compiling uh, Project Barashis, so uh, it's been quite the uh, epic uh, com- compiling and codifying. So anyway, with all that being said, I want to just speak to the Avengers that, uh, you know, since we really just kind of come out and been like fully like, hey, this is my character. This is who I am and all this kind of stuff. And everyone's getting their names and all that wonderfulness. If you've noticed the uh, the challenges and the circumstances of life have become more intense and more intense things have been happening in the world since then. Uh, obviously, everything's been intense for a while, but it's just been seemingly uh, a little bit more intense lately with just personal challenges for everybody. So I just want to encourage us that this is why I was on the Avengers Assemble uh, podcast that, I mean, it's really legit. Like, we do have these abilities and we need to own up to them and it's time to be super great, like better than end game. Great. And obviously uh, if we follow the results of end game, Tony Stark did not make it, (laughs) but Baruch Hashem, you know, he's on, he's on podcasts apparently. So anyway, uh, that's not the limit of who we are, which is why, again, we're not like those characters, like, exactly like them. We're the Shomer versions of them. This is why we have the Hebrew names of our characters. This is why if you look at the name of who you are and what it's attached to, 
you know, that's really your superpower. So seeing these comic book characters and things, they give us a picture or a snapshot, if you will, of, you know, who we are. And while I'm on that tangent, I was talking to Kola, who is uh, the Storm character, and we were talking about the Hebrew because she is reading the wisdom of the Hebrew Aleph Bet. If you don't have that book, that's what you need to have even more than a Zohar. One who knows the Hebrew letters in and out, what letters are inside of the letters, what the letters mean and what they represent. That is higher level than Zohar. And that comes literally from Hasidic thought, you know, that the Hebrew Aleph Bet, I mean, even the Zohar itself acknowledged that one who studies the Hebrew Aleph Bet, I mean, forget about so level of Torah. I mean, if you're talking letters here, like you're looking at the essence of Hashem because the letters portray who Hashem is and they give you insight into his essence. So his nature and uh, the letters are all manifestations of Hashem. So, yeah. So anyway, so we were talking about that and uh, she was just kind of like, you know, these letters, you know, they're they're always moving and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, yeah. So when you really think about it, well, we're reading the Torah, the Tanakh, the Humash, that these are just pictures like, you know, for example, people, we move around, but, you know, pictures that are posted on Facebook or pictures we have in our photo albums or on our phones and our galleries, those are moments, you know, and it's just like, this is us at that moment. Well, that's exactly what the Torah being written down is. It's a, it's a snapshot of the Torah at the moment, but the letters they're constantly moving. They're constantly evolving, growing, changing, you know, not changing in the sense of Hashem changes, but there's always the, the, you can rearrange the word, rearrange it, turn it over and turn it over. That sounds like a, like a verse in Torah or uh, at least uh, something in the Pirkei Avot where you uh, meditate upon the word of God and you turn it over. So I think there's something on that. Let me see here, because it was like the flaming sword. Yeah, okay, Baruch Hashem. So it's a Pirkei of Vote uh, 5.22. This is Ben Bog Bog. He said, turn it over and again, turn it over for all is therein. And look into it and become gray and old therein. And do not move away from it, for you have no better portion. So this is what they're talking about with studying the Torah. I'm going to go back to 21. Okay, so we're talking about the letters, right? They're they're constantly, you know, moving and and and, ch and not changing. Let's look for a better word. They're floating, just like in the sapphire tablets. Which, by the way, we never got a chance to get because we decided to do the golden calf. So that's why we have this final exile to make tikkun for that. Which is the reason why if we're not willing to wait for the final redemption 
and we want to forsake the yoke or we want to go off on another path or just plain give up, we're failing. We're losing the focus because we were not willing to wait for Moshe to come down with literally Hashemayim in the in the form of tablets and go into the promised land and build a final temple and, and bring in the redemption and all that. Uh, we got a little bit impatient and we didn't think he was going to show up, even though we thought he was dead, because there's the whole thing about Hasatan making an image of Moshe dead. And everybody was like, well, the Redeemer's dead. We're not going to get those tablets. You know, we told him to go up and we knew he wasn't going to survive. And so let's just make this calf because we need a representative of Hashem. So let's just do this, which, by the way, is exactly what Christianity has done. Let's just let's just give up on the whole Jewish stuff because that's where it all started from. I know Abraham did his thing and we're supposed to be like him. But let's just let's just, uh, you know, that's that's a thing of the past now, you know. Judaism's dead. Hebrew's dead. It's an old language. Nobody speaks it. Like, and it's it's old. It's an old law. It's an old covenant. Like, just get rid of it. Let's just do this new thing and let's just keep calling it Hashem. It's like, okay. So what are you gonna use to drive that force? Because other than throwing out the word of God, that's what you're gonna have to do. Because if you really adhere yourself to the old testament, quote unquote then uh, you would uh, not be able to disregard it, i.e. you'd be Jewish because you'd be keeping the festivals, you'd be keeping Shabbat, which is one of the festivals, you'd be eating kosher, you'd be studying the Torah, you'd know about oral Torah and how they're inseparable. Uh, you would wear zitzit if you're a guy, uh, all, men and women both would dress zinut, uh, and everybody would be studying the Shema, and everybody would know what the Shema means. Everyone would know what the the tenth day of the seventh month is, which, by the way, is Yom Kippur. Uh, and we'd be knowing, you know, today is uh, Yom Rishon or Yom Shalishi, Yom Revi'i. Like we'd know all these things. We know what the fast of the fifth month is, the fast of the fourth month. We know about all that stuff. But yet, we want to have something new and ascribe Hashem to it. And so it's like New Testament. Now we have January, February, March, April, May, you know, all that. And it will celebrate Schmeister. And, you know, we'll talk about resurrection, even though we really want to talk about bunnies and eggs and baskets. And let's go have our children find these things. You know, and let's just focus on all this non-Jewish stuff and, and stay away from that. So, again, this is why we have this exile, because we need to tacoon all that and quit with the golden calfness. No matter how long it takes, we should know that the Redeemer is still alive, i.e. David, Melech, Melech, Kaiva, Kayam, David, the king, he is alive and enduring, i.e., which is the secret of Yosef still lives, which is what the brothers had to tell Yaakov, which means all of the illusions of Mashiach. <coughs> Slika, which is, you know, Yeshua still lives. Yeshua is alive. 
because between David and Yosef, those are the two Mashiachs, and the two Mashiachs become one in Messiah. So uh, you have this picture here, neither Redeemer is dead. Uh, so yeah, so anyway, that's on an illusion level. That's called Remez. So getting to my point that, you know, the golden calf is seen to be the New Testament, which is supposed to be anti-Jewish. It's supposed to be Christian and everybody's supposed to go to church if you really want the truth. So we have to tacoon that and we have to know that's not right, because when you read the quote unquote New Testament, you find out it's way Jewish. Nobody in the New Testament was Christian. And furthermore, everybody in the New Testament who wasn't in uh, attachment to Hashem, uh, they were brought in when they wanted to be, when they gave their heart to Hashem and confessed and all that wonderfulness, repentant, broken, contrite heart stuff. When they did that, they became Jews, like Cornelius and his whole entire household, a bunch of Roman people, just like Uncolos, by the way. He was the nephew of one of the greatest Roman generals, which uh, is Titus, by the way. So, uh, yeah, so there's all of that to take into account. Uh, let me double check that fact real quick. Because do, 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 I uh, I have so many sources running through my head and I want to make sure that I got them all right. OK, yes, he was the nephew of the Roman emperor. Oh, Roman emperor, not just the general sleek. Ah, take it up a notch. The emperor Titus. And Titus did some pretty horrible stuff. He was the one that stabbed the parochid and said, I killed God. And the parochid bled and stuff. So, you know, anyway, just stuff like that. But yeah, so when you really look at the quote-unquote New Testament, it's not really new. It's actually Jewish. And everybody really, when they uh, came to faith in God through Messiah Yeshua, they were actually Jews. So where does that leave us? Leaves us in an interesting place of uh, what are we supposed to be doing with this final exile? Other than uh, making Judaism great again? How about that? So uh, all of that to rewind all the way back to the golden calf and tacooning for that and all that good stuff. And the letters floated because they were on the sapphire tablets, but we never got to see those because we didn't decide it because we decided to worship the golden calf. So back to the floating letters and how they're a still picture uh, like a still S-T-I-L-L, like a still shot, screenshot, if you will, of one position that the letters were in at the moment that snapshot was taken, which would be like looking at your Humash, your Tanakh, or the Torah scroll. So it's a, it's a photo. But the Torah in actuality, it's, it's moving, it's living, it's active. Oh, wait, like Hebrews? Are we are we talking uh, Hebrews chapter four here? Like what? Yeah, because, you know, Torah is alive and stuff. So what is that? Uh, Hebrews four, the Agarit, the letter of the Hebrews, Agarit Ivrim, if you will. 
It's uh, chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God, i.e. the Torah, is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing right through to a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him. Okay, so the word of God has the attribute of a person. So, yeah, it says, but I digress. I'm going to keep going. It says, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So, yeah. So anyway, just know the letters that we look at here in the Hebrew when we're looking at our sources. These are like little pictures of the actual live word of God. So Bezrat Hashem, and during this exile, making tikkun, hastening the day of the final redemption as Kepha, Peter, exhorted us in his letters that we should hasten the day. Uh, <clears throat> we can get back to uh, seeing what that actually looks like and what what nature change that truly causes. So back in this Pirkei Avot 5 here, it says that uh, in verse in section 21, because I was talking about turning it over again and over and again, you know, like the letters moving around because you keep digging into the tour. You can read the same thing over and over again. You come away with something new each time, depending on how well you're focusing and refining. Are you praying and talking with a shem through it? Are you speaking it out loud? You know, are you sharing it with other people, taking in insights, giving insights? It's all a give and take relationship when you're studying with your fellow Havarim. OK, so, you know, you tag and, you know, share what you seen in this and they tag and they share with you what they saw. You put them together and somebody else has more information. This is what's called avenging. This is kind of one of our favorite pastimes. <laughs> Uh, with a group of us at uh, the shuls, so we like to uh, throw down. Uh, even I have a few podcasts on this account called The Throwdown, and that's where I feature with some of the other Avengers. And so you hear how they drop stuff and how we share. So anyway, moving up in Pure K 5, going to 21, I just love this because this is a beautiful uh, format for us. As far as understanding, especially if you're new to Torah, like not new to Torah and like I just learned it yesterday. But like if you're feeling like, OK, so I've converted or I'm in the process of converting. I haven't really finished my conversion yet. And I've been at Tar Shalom for a while now and I feel like we're not going anywhere. I feel like, you know, we're behind. I feel like we're not learning fast enough. I feel like other people are behind. If you're in that boat, get out of it immediately <laughs> because we don't even put that kind of pressure on Jewish children. Okay. Like we carry around our children, you know, and rock them and then they're walking around and then, you know, Hey, where's your keep at? Goo goo gaga. And it's like, Oh, you, you don't, you don't even know what I'm saying to you right now. Let me go give you your keeper. And it's like, okay. And then when they finally get to an age where they can comprehend you know, words, then we start talking to them about the olive bed and, you know, and then they get to ability to write and read and all that kind of stuff. Then we start sharing, you know, Torah, like the written Torah, you know, and they grow all the way up. And it's not until 12 for a girl and 13 for a guy 
that we look at, uh, hey, do you know your Torah portion? Have you been studying it? You know, because now you're going to give a public, you know, dissertation on it if you're ready. Because not all people do this, by the way. Not every bar mitzvah happens for a boy at 13. Some of them were like, I ain't ready for that. Get out of here. You know, and it's just like, okay, well, you got seven years until you're really accountable because the age of accountability is not until 20. So it's really a grace period that, you know, we're like, hey, you're 13. Now you might want to think about growing up and being a man. By the way, 13, everybody say 13. Okay, for a guy. And if you're a girl, 12. That's how long it is before you're really expected to be like, quote unquote, getting it in, as I like to say, doing your thing. Sleek, I have to take a drink. But uh, yeah, it's water, by the way. I don't drink in drosh because that's not right. Well, I mean, maybe it is right if you're having a learning burn. I don't know. But anyway, not for me to judge because I judge favorably. Anyway, uh, so yeah, so it's like, okay, so for those of us who just got here and been at Sarshalon for a little bit, what in the world are we doing? If we're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm behind and what am I going to do? And I just feel like I just got so much stuff I need to study. I need to get all these books and I do I need to know this halakha, da, 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 da. It's like, listen, you're three years old. You should barely even know how to say shalom. And if you know how to say more than shalom, then you're like a super baby, a baby genius or whatever you want to call yourself. And just, uh, you know, be cool. Take your time. Because I say all of that as a long introduction to this one point in Pirkei Avot 521. It says, he used to say, who is he, by the way? This is uh, Yehuda ben Tama. Uh, he's dropping all these wonderfulness. I'm just going to read all this. Okay. I'm going to go back one. So now we're going to read 20 and 21. Yehuda ben Tama said, be strong as a leopard and swift as an eagle and fleet as a gazelle and brave as a lion to do the will of your father who is in Shemaim, heaven. He used to say, the arrogant is headed for Gehenna, and the blushing for the Gan Eden, which is called paradise. Blushing, okay? Like, you're completely not arrogant. You're kind of like, please, don't look at me right now. You know, like... Super humble, don't want to really be put in the spotlight like, hey, what are you doing? Get that light out of here, you know, kind of thing. That, that, that kind of blushing, like you're very just, hey, I'm, I'm here to support people. Don't worry about me. Don't look at me. Don't esteem me, all that kind of stuff. And it's not a false humility. It's a true humility. That is super importante. That is why Yeshua says, take my yoke upon you. And he talks about how you really have to be low when you do that. And you got to really count yourself as the least of these. Because Yeshua says, when you do unto the least of these, then you've done unto me. 
So Yeshua literally credits himself with being the lowest of the low. Anyway, just food for thought. Back to Pirke. It says, may it be the will, O Adonai, our God, that your city be rebuilt speedily in our days and set our portion in the studying of your Torah. Amen. I'll drink to that. Lechaim on the mime. Okay. He used to say at five years of age, everybody say five. Okay, here we go. So at five years old, okay, so if you've been observant for five years, here is the requirement. And by the way, this is just commentary. This is not like you need to take this. Okay, at five years, this is the hardcore throwdown. Even if you wanted to do that, check out what the requirement is. Study of scripture. Yep, that's it. Are you uh, doing the Aliyah day? By the way, you get five years. That's your grace period. So if you're trying to get way beyond the Aliyah day and you're less than five years at this, you haven't been through five Sukkots, you haven't been through five Pesachs, you haven't been through five Hanukkahs, you know, all the other uh, Yom Tovim. Okay. First of all, politely, I will tell you, Calm down. Pump your brakes. Take it down a notch. You're up here, and I need you to be, like, down over here. You know, like, lower. Okay? So, anyway, that's uh, five years. All right, the next benchmark is ten. Everybody say ten. It says, at ten, study of Mishnah. Now, the Mishnah is the study of the Tanaim. So I want to shout out Ish Pela real quick because he dropped some serious uh, arsenal on me today about, you know, the uh, the satyrs of the, uh, the, the oral Torah and how, you know, there's like the part about the the Nezakin, the uh, Moadim and all that kind of stuff. It's like how the Talmud, basically all the tractates are broken up into six orders of Talmud known as Shas, which are the six satyrs of Talmud. Uh, like when you want to look up Yoma or Shabbat or, you know, Nida or, you know, Gitin, any of those tractates, they're all subcategorized in one of these six orders. But anyway, in there, it's talking about how the Talmud is split up into two parts which is funny because, you know, two Mashiachs, but it's one thing. So the Talmud is one thing. Really, it's two, but really it's six because it's categorized into six portions. I continually digress on digressing while I'm digressing. But anyway, just just want to let you know, at 10 years old, you should be getting familiar with the Mishnah. So have you been through 10 Rosh Hashanahs? Have you been through 10 uh, Shava Oats. Just trying to think of other holidays I hadn't said yet. Ten Tuba Shavats. Not to be confused with Tuba Av or Tishaba Av. Okay? Or the 17th of Tammuz. Have you been through 10 of those? Because if you're 
if you have and uh, you don't know about the Mishnah and you're trying to do all this other stuff like Zohar, like, I don't know, any other mystical type of studies or whatever you want to get into, you might want to turn around and go to the Mishnah. So by the time you're 10, you're going to be familiar and pretty well versed, pun intended, with the written Torah. And by the time you're, yeah, so by the time you're 10, you're going to be pretty well versed with the written Torah and beginning to be familiar with the Mishnah, which is the oral Torah. And by the way, Mishnah also means repetition or second. Okay or viceroy, if you will, just like Yosef was viceroy to the Pharaoh. So Yosef was like a Mishnah. So Yosef is the Mishnah. By the way, there's lots of sources on that. I think I shared that in one of my previous podcasts. Don't know which one because there's 13,000 billion hours of information on my on my podcast channel. So anyway, I digress. So if you're 10 years old, you should be really, really good with the written Torah and beginning to be familiar with the oral Torah. 13. Everybody say 13. If you're 13, you should be subject to the mitzvot. Okay, you should be doing your due diligence to be very, very uh, observant. Okay, you should know what commandments are. You should be doing them. So side note, <clears throat> for people who think, oh my gosh, I can't believe like uh, I was Christian or I was Buddhist or I was Muslim or I was not even anything. I was atheist and now all this Torah stuff and Lapid and da 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 da. It's like all these different things I got to do. It's like, okay, you're not 13 yet. You should be doing as much as you can. This is not a get out of Torah for free drosh that I'm giving. This is just a, hey, take your time. Acts chapter 15, even the apostles knew this. They said, why are we putting yokes on people that we ourselves couldn't bear? That's literally codified in Acts. Like, come on. So we we disregard even the word that we used to just go gospel crazy about, like almost practically Pentecostal, like thus says the Lord in Acts chapter two, you know, and it's just like, but we forget about Acts chapter 15, that one little verse. So this is why it's beautiful that even what they were quoting in Acts is like we said, there's nothing new in the New Testament anyway. It's right here. It's hey, here's the breakdown of uh, benchmarks. For growth. So doing your best, just keep learning. Okay, keep moving. Don't get overwhelmed because you're you're a child. You're supposed to be a child anyway. Yeshua says, unless you become like a child, you will not inherit the kingdom. So there's that. Anyway, uh, so that's 13. So 15, it says the study of the Talmud. So now, not only are you supposed to know the written Torah, the oral Torah, known as the Mishnah, brought down by the Tanaim, the teachers who recounted everything that was handed out, all the traditions from Adam all the way down to when it was codified in writing. But then you're supposed to be a person who is doing the mitzvot, 
the commandments. And then you're supposed to be introduced and beginning to get into the Gemara. So that's 15. So 15 years in, that's your level. Notice it hasn't talked about Zohar or any of that stuff yet. So. Selah. Another drink. All right. Uh, so next. 18. 18 years into Torah. 18 years after becoming a new creation. The bridal canopy. Time to get married. So obviously not everybody who's 18. That's a Jew gets married because a lot of people wait and we grow up way slower nowadays, even though we have way more things at our fingertips. We should be growing like at the speed of light. But I digress on that because we're super immature and we love materialism. So we got to break that. And I'm um, talking to myself, too. So don't think I'm throwing shade at everybody and just sitting in the corner laughing because I watch way too much YouTube for my own personal. Just I'm just like, why am I doing this? Why do I keep like searching all my apps thinking there's going to be something new there? It's like, what are you doing, homeboy? Just, you know, get into Torah, get into life, you know, like do something productive. It's like. You know, so that's just a little personal, you know, I'm pulling the curtain back so you can see I'm struggling, too. And I have to, you know, be like, let's do this, man. Takoon all the way. I want the temple. How about you? And so I'm not afraid to admit that I have shortcomings and I am not Superman. I am Shomer man. So, yeah, got a lot of issues, but working them out. Daily, fear and trembling, all that good stuff. Next up, it says at 20 is when you pursuit, you have a you have a pursuit for livelihood, like you have a trade that you're engaged in. By the way, as opposed to just thinking, all right, did I go to school, get my GED and go to college and get a degree? Like. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I completely support people who want to do that. And at the same time, one of the really, really most wisest things you could do. If you're not going to go that route is get a trade. OK, you want to have a trade because that's going to keep you between jobs. That's going to keep you between you know, seasons of whatever you're trying to do if you're going to school or whatever. So, you know, having a trade is like beautiful because whatever your trade is, whether it's like plumbing, locksmithing, uh, you know, some kind of maintenance repair guy, all of the above, you know, kind of thing. If you have something like that builder, you know, build, be good at building stuff. Those trades those are invaluable. Those are things that usually schools can't teach you. Obviously, there's courses on that, but coupling the instruction with the experience, that's what's like, you know, it's just like, hey, so I, I call this plumber out. I want to know if he can get the job done. I don't care, like, if he has a degree or whatever. It's like, do you know what you're doing? Is my house going to flood? 
Okay, so you know what you're doing. My house is not going to flood. Okay, please, I'll pay you whatever the cost is. Please help me fix my pipes. You know, just being super practical with it, you know, kind of thing. It's like, do I need a smart guy who doesn't know what he's doing? Or do I need somebody who knows what he's doing? You know, it's like, okay, cool. Rukashim. So anyway, so when you're thinking about being 20 years into your new life, being new creations and stuff, just know, you know, that's about the time you want to know what your pursuit of livelihood is. So it's interesting because you're supposed to get married, apparently, according to this source, before you have a livelihood. Kind of interesting. Obviously, we wouldn't go that route uh, practically because we'd be thinking, how are we going to provide for this wife? Because, you know, if you have a wife, by the way, you're supposed to provide clothing, you're supposed to provide shelter, and you're supposed to provide conjugal rights. So it's just kind of like, how are you going to provide all that if you ain't got no money? That's interesting, especially if y'all start having children. <laughs> Say la. Anyway, so 30, it says at 30, this is the peak of strength. Okay, so you're super strong at this point. And uh, sorry, my little thing is going off over here. Then it says at 40, this is wisdom. So your peak of wisdom begins here. So you don't really know nothing till you're 40. I'm a few years away from that. Okay, about, you know, I'm, I'm 33 now, so Baruch Hashem. Uh, yeah, so I got a little ways to go. So that's why I don't really want to uh, put myself on a pedestal. Even when I'm 40, Bezrat Hashem, I don't want to put myself on a pedestal. But uh, yeah, who do I think I am? Nobody. But I'll tell you who I am. Show me, man. Get you some. Okay, so next up it says at 50... Able to give counsel. Okay, so you want to be a counselor at that age, you know, share your life experiences and wisdom with people. At 60, you have old age. So you're considered a Zakin at the age of 60. <clears throat> Which is interesting because... Yosef and Benjamin are called son of old age. Like one of the ways that this is uh, commentated on is that commented on is that their sons that Yaakov had well into his old age. But also that they are sons who are literally considered to be Zakins. Like they're considered to be youth that have wisdom, knowledge, and understanding beyond their years. Hence, we have in the Brit Hadashah the letter to Timothy. Just because you're young, homeboy, don't think that you can let people look down upon you and don't think that you're not supposed to put your hands to the plow and do what Hashem has gifted you to do. You got this. That's the uh, Shomerman Midrash on the letters to Timothy that Shaul wrote. So anyway, Zakin is 60. Okay, that's old age. Zakin means old. 
could also it could be like, yeah, that person's old, but it also can mean that person's super wise. So, uh, yeah, we're not supposed to call people old. So there's that. So Zaken means a lot more than what we think it does. And it goes on to say at 70, this is the fullness of years. Anyone past 70? Baruch Hashem, because, you know, this is like you're going beyond. And, and Bezrat Hashem, people live till 120. That'd be awesome. But 70 is considered to be a full life by this uh, comment, the, by this standard here. Then it says at 80, this is the age of strength. This is interesting because that's the age Moshe was when he went and started, you know, the, uh, the Exodus. Then it says at 90, you have a bent body. This is like the kind of like, you know, on your cane or your walker kind of thing. Then it says at 100, this says as good as dead and gone completely out of the world. Wow. Considering some people who are 100, you're just like, how old are you? And they're like, well, I am 103. And you're like, I thought you were 73. And they're like, well, thank you. And, you know, so anyway, uh, just pure K of vote five. 21 breaks down all the benchmarks of the age. So hopefully that is encouraging to us. And this will conclude the first segment of the final parsha of Sefer Bereshit, which is called Vayaki. And uh, this is just meant to be something inspirational about, you know, the true essence of living, you know, which is us making tikkun and this final redemption, waiting as long as it takes and really embracing the mantle of the responsibility and the superpowers, for lack of better words, that Hashem has given us because we're bringing redemption to the world and there is everything literally in the world that wants to prevent that. And so we must be aware that's what we're fighting against. So if you're coming against challenges, you're coming against uh, discouragement, you're coming against things that are so tough. That's what it is. And so the only way we can win this thing is together. So Baruch Hashem. Uh, oh, and the final thing I want to say is when we win this thing together, it's because we're all our brother's keeper, which is brought down in Shavuot, one of the tractates of Tamu 39a, that all Israel are guarantors for one another, i.e. we're our brother's keeper. And that was the prerequisite for the giving of the Torah, because Hashem wouldn't give the Torah until we all became guarantors for one another. And while we're at it, we just went through Parsha Vayigash. Yosef did not reveal himself to his family until he knew and saw that they were guarantors for one another. Yehuda, the very one who sold Yosef, who was like, let's sell him. He said, you know what? Nope, I'm going to be taken as a slave instead of Benjamin or else everybody's going down. And it's just kind of like, OK, so Yehuda's had quite the bit of teshuva and the brothers silent were in agreement with him. They're like, yeah, whatever he says, because uh, we're not leaving without Benjamin. So there's that. And Yosef's like, oh, 
See, y'all are y'all's brother's keeper now. Y'all ain't letting nobody go down. Okay, Brukashim. So let me reveal myself to you real quick. It may be so for us sooner in our days that Hashem reveals the final redemption for us when we all say we are avengers and we are guarantors for the world. We lay down our life for the flock and we want to bring the final redemption. We want to see lost souls saved. And we want the divine sparks to be gathered in. We cry out for those who are lacking light and spiritual freedom. Amen. Parsha Vayaki. So we're in the last Torah portion of Sefer Bereshit. One of the things that I wanted to get into was talking about this clean heart, the new heart that we're supposed to have as being new creations in Messiah. And I want to open up with something Dr. Sakal shared with me from a gentleman on YouTube called Yosef Haemet. And he was bringing down that these are the, the last 17 years of the life of Yaakov. And these years were considered good. Yaakov lived for 147 years, 130 of them were considered to be just plain, like, oh, you know, and so it's just kind of like, okay, so it's just like he struggled, he had all these challenges. So then you have, you know, this 17 years going on with Yaakov. Like, why are these considered to be good? And when uh, homeboy, homeboy, Mr. Yosef Haimet up here was reading about this in the uh, Parsha, he was talking about that there were 17 years where he was with Yosef, reunited after Yosef was lost. And then he went on to saying that... Um, Let's see, I'm getting my bearings here. Uh, Yaakov, remember sheet 49, right before 50. Hang on here. I want to make sure I'm getting the right... Thank you for your patience. So, yeah, it was uh, 147 years. Okay, cool. So, 130 years were challenging, and then the last 17 years he considered it to be good. So, there's also, okay, so what Yosef Haimet was breaking down, that Vayaki itself the gematria of that word, and he lived, is uh, 34. So 34 is divided into 17 and 17, which 17, by the way, is the gematria for tov. So there were two toves in the vayaki that was tov. Okay, so there were two goods 
inside the and he lived of Yaakov. So when were these two points of good for Yaakov? It was considered to be the 17 years from the birth of Yaakov or the birth of Yosef until he was taken away. And then the 17 years where he was reunited with Yosef until his death. And so Vayaki represents those two periods, which would mean that not all 130 years that Yaakov considered to be stressful and challenging and tough <coughs> were actually stressful, challenging and tough. At least 17 of those years were actually considered good, which goes to the old adage of the good inside the bad. It's like, if we can't realize and grab a hold of that, which is through Yosef, by the way, again, prototype or shadow, type and shadow of Messiah. So even though we have struggles and challenges in this world, take heart because he's overcome the world. His shalom he gives to us, you know, Yeshua words stuff. So even though we're going through challenges and things like that during this exile, during these dark times, that there's there's good which is us holding true to the word of God, i.e. holding true to the Messiah, abiding in him, living in him. And so that's lumped in with the challenging life of Yaakov. And then the second part of that to make the second tove was the true tove that was without challenge, which is the tove that we're awaiting, by the way, in the Alam Haba where it's all tove. Literally, cold tove, no bad, no struggle, no death, no sickness, no pain, no tears. Okay? No stuffy noses. Get you some. Okay? That was when ya- Yaakov and Yosef were reunited. And even in exile, they were considered to be in a semblance of the final redemption because when they were brought to Egypt, they were brought down in a. Uh, Honorable manner because Yosef was brought down in a dishonorable manner, i.e. as a slave and chains and being sold and all that kind of horribleness. And because Yosef went through all that, he actually allowed his family the privilege of being able to come down to Egypt in an honorable way. But when they got there, they didn't have to really get into Egypt. They got to be in the best part of Egypt, which was Goshen which actually is a part of the Holy Land, by the way, because Pharaoh, during the Abraham and Sarah incident where they had to go to Egypt, and Abraham was like, tell everybody you're my sister because I don't want to die, all that kind of stuff, because the mission's important. If I die, there's no Israel, and that would not be good because who's going to accept the Torah, that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, so Pharaoh takes Sarah and almost makes her his wife, and then there's a divine intervention and all that. But he wrote up a ketubah. This actually comes down from the Midrash Tankuma, by the way. Back during that parsha, a few tour portions ago in Bereshit. That uh, he wrote in the ketubah to Sarah, even though they never got to really activate it and fulfill it. Pharaoh still honored it. He was like, even though you don't get to be my wife, I wrote out this ketubah. So I'm going to honor it because... I decreed it, 
even though, you know, we never got to act upon it because you're somebody else's wife. And uh, that's not that's not what we do. At least Hashem told me that's not what we do. And so I'm not doing it. Anybody else, though, I might have. But, you know, you're like anointed and stuff. And Hashem says, touch not my anointed ones and all that. So I don't want no part of that. Enough plagues, because, by the way, plagues did happen in the household of Pharaoh and the Egyptians when he took Sarah and tried to make her his wife. So, yeah, there, there's that. The ten plagues happened before on an even uh, grander scale during the abduction of Sarah and that incident. But anyway, I digress. Of course, I do that a lot. Okay, so... Pharaoh actually gave Sarah that portion of land. And so when Israel finally came to Egypt, it's like, oh, yeah, by the way, that that's y'all's land anyway. So, yeah, just go over there. That's fine. It's written in the books already that land belongs to the Jews. So, yeah, and end up being that that's actually a part of the greater land of Israel. So. Anyway, there's lots of commentary on that. That's not really where I was trying to go, but I just wanted to bring up the fact that uh, even while we're in exile, uh, this Egyptian exile here in our passage of Vayaki, that these last 17 years of Yaakov's life were considered to be good because they're, they're in a small picture of the final redemption where everything's good, like the whole family's together, everybody's growing abundantly, we're on our way to becoming 600,000 people, from 70 souls that descended, you know, uh, Jacob and Joseph are back together, you know, Yehuda and Joseph are reconciled, the two messiahs become one kind of thing. And, uh, you know, there's studying, there's growth, you know, there's s sustaining through the famine, you know, famine ended, you know, everything's good, you know, and so that's the second toe we're waiting on in the for the Alam Haba. So anyway, just breaking that down with the two 17s, which 17s is 17 itself is the gematria of Tov, which is the word for good. And in Vayaki, which is and he lived, which is the gematria of 34, breaks down into Tov, Tov, which is good, good. So anyway, that's me commentating on Yosef Haimet, which was shared by Dr. Sakal. All right, so... How about that for an intro? Okay, anyway, hopefully that was followable because I am a little cray-cray, but uh, Baruch So just this whole idea of having a new heart, I just was like, man, let's talk about this new heart stuff. So the first thing that uh, came to mind was actually from the Tehillim. And uh, talking about our heart here being new. Tehillim chapter 4, verse 8, it says, But as for me, you put joy in my heart. And it says, Natata simka ve libi. You put simka which, by the way, rearranges into Hamashiach minus the Yod. Because Simka spelled uh, Sin, which is a Sheen, but with the dot on the other side, Mem, Chet, He. 
If you wanted to spell Hamashiach, all you need to do is add a yod in there and rearrange the letters to be Mim, Sheen, Yod, Chet, and put the hay at the front of all that, which would be Hamashiach. But anyway, you can spell Mashiach with or without the yod because Hebrew is that gangsta like that. So anyway, uh, so you've put that in my heart to be happier with my lot than they are from their gain, from their grain and wine abound. From when their grain and wine abound. Okay, so in this verse, I mean, there's not any commentary on it, which I'm kind of sad about, but I'm actually awaiting a drop on some new uh, arsenal of uh, what I'm going to be calling Tehillim Blue. We got the big green Tehillim, which is what I'm reading now. We got the Cricket Tehillim, which is the, the mini Art Scroll Tanakh series, which is ridiculous if you ever get a chance to get that. And then there's the blue version of the Tehillim with anthologized commentary, like ridiculous, like the way they have for Proverbs. Okay, so yeah. So anyway, be on the lookout for that. So I was just looking at this verse and then I looked down in the commentary because I was trying to find it. They actually in verse uh, five go into talking about tremble and do not sin, reflecting your hearts upon your beds and be silent forever. And it says talking to the evil inclination. This is on page seven B says rage internally. Against the animal soul, which is the evil inclination. Side note, this is one of the pieces of commentary to teach us about Jacob wrestling with the angel who is called the face of God. Says that uh, Jacob was wrestling with his inner self, his celestial self, if you will. Because the text actually says Yaakov was wrestling, he, Yaakov was left alone, and then he wrestled with a man. And by the way, one of the uh, names of the evil inclination, I believe, is, is man. So let me check that out real quick. Uh, let me see here. Suga 52B, yeah. Suka 52b says that the evil inclination incites a person to sin in this world and then testifies against him in the next world. As it is stated, he that delicately brings up his servant from a child shall have him become a master at last. Proverbs 29, 21. Uh, okay, and then it goes into that. Do, 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 do. The evil inclination is called Traveler. Keep going. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Where are we at here now? Take it back now, y'all. Two hops this time. Bump, bump. Anyway. Let's go back here. All right. I know we got the names of the evil incarnation over here somewhere. Uh, 
Should be Suka 52. Because Evelyn Connection has seven names. So where is that? That's in this tractate. Suka 52. Is it in Suka 52A? Let us see. Uh, and what damage does the evil inclination cause? Yep. Okay, here we go. We're getting closer. We're getting closer. Isaiah called it a stumbling block. Shlomo called it an enemy. Evil inclination has seven names. All right, Sukkah 52a, Baruch Hashem. The evil inclination has seven names. Hakadosh Baruchu called it evil, as it is stated, for the inclination of a man's heart is evil from his youth. Bereshit 8.21, Moshe called it uncircumcised, as it is stated, and circumcised the foreskin of your hearts, Devarim 10.16, which, by the way, so when David calls Goliath uncircumcised, he's like, hey, you're the Yetzirah, I'm taking you down. Anyway, David called it impure, as it is stated, create for me a pure heart, O God, Tehillim 51.12, we're getting ready for that. By inference, there is an impure heart, and that is the evil inclination. Oh, how about that? Part of our study today. Shlomo called it an enemy, as it is stated, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, which, by the way, is Torah. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink, which, by the way, is Torah. For you will heap coals of fire on his head, and Adonai will reward you. This is all cross-reference with Romans 12, by the way, because Shaul talks about this. But originally sourced out in Proverbs 25, 21 through 22. It says, do not read it as, and the Lord will reward you. Rather, read it as the Lord will reconcile it to you. God will cause the evil inclination to love you and no longer seek to entice you to sin. Isaiah. Yeshiyahu called it a stumbling block, as it is stated, and he will say, cast you up, cast you up, clear the way, take up the stumbling block out of the way of my people. Yeshiyahu 57, 14. Yehezekiel, Ezekiel, my favorite prophet, just saying, called it a stone. As it is said, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Yehezekiel 36, 26. Yoel called it hidden one. Joel, commonly known as, called it hidden one. Hidden one. As it says, but I will remove the northern one far off from you. Yoel 2.20. The sages talk concerning the verse, but I will remove the northern one far off from you. That is referring to the evil inclination. And why is the evil inclination referred to as hidden one? It's due to the fact that it is always hidden in the heart of man. Okay, so nothing here about the evil inclination called man. Let's see here. Du -du -du. By the way, this is the same tractate that brings down that... Uh, says uh, let's see 
the damage of the evil inclination with his face toward the eastern sea, Joel 2.20, as it set its eyes on the first temple and destroyed it and killed the Torah scholars that were in it. And its end toward the western sea, Joel 2.20, as it set its eyes on the second temple and destroyed it and killed the Torah scholars that were in it. Its foulness may come up and its its ill odor may come up, Joel 2.20, as it forsakes the nations of the world and incites the enemies of the Jewish people. In this context, the term the nations is a euphemism for the Jewish people. So the enemies of the Jewish people, it says in this context, as read in Joel 2.20, is a euphemism for the Jewish people. Screenshotting this and sending this to Ishpela, because he was looking for that. The enemies of Israel are literally called Israel. Because we're our own worst enemy. I digress. It says, because it is done greatly, Joel 2.20. Abaye said, and it provokes Torah scholars more than it provokes everyone else. The Yatsahara is on Torah scholars. This is why most people who study Torah, if we don't handle our business with our own inner desires, uh, we get our clocks cleaned, if you will. We get our lunch stolen. We get a beatdown in the back alley because the Yatsahara is like, oh, you're a Torah scholar. <laughs> Come here, let me talk to you. But. Just as a word of encouragement that as a Torah scholar, you have just as much power as the Yetzirah does over you. You have just as much power over it. So before it beats you down, you're supposed to beat it down. And that's why the sages say, if you feel like the Yetzirah is getting ready to like throw down with you, drag it. Okay, sweep the leg, grab it by the ankle, Ken Shamrock style for those who remember wrestling. Ken Shamrock had this finisher move called the ankle lock. So put the Yetzirah in an ankle lock, drag it to the bait midrash, take it to the house of Torah study, i.e. were two or more gathered in my name, i.e. Yeshua's words. So, uh, yes, drag it there and the stone will destroy the stone. So, yeah, because the Torah is also called a stone, but we just read the Yetzirah is also called a stone. So anyway, you can uh, take out the Yatahara and you can win it over, but you have to be with a group of people. Can't just do it by yourself and be like, oh, I'm studying Torah by myself. I'm going to kill the Yatahara or I'm going to beat it into submission or whatever. It's like, I was waiting for you to study Torah by yourself. Come on now. Anyway, this is why community is important. All right, so still haven't found how the evil inclination is called a man. All right, pull out the big guns, stand by. I just don't like sources hatred, so you know. Just got to find it. Let's see, we can do this though. Hashem, may you help us find, is the evil inclination called a man? The greater the man, the greater his Yetzirah, evil inclination, by the way. 
that's Suka 52A. Here it is. Avoda Zera 19A. Wow, I was way in the wrong time. It says, happy is one who triumphs over his Yetahara like a man, i.e. with strength and vigor. It's not really what I was looking for. That's fine. I like that, though. It's a horrors and a heart of man. Well, I guess uh, I was wrong. Slicha, slicha. All right. Need more hands to move my sources around. Okay. All right. Could have sworn I saw a source that said the evil inclination is called a man. Okay, well, Baruch Hashem. Evil Inclination is not called a man, but uh, the Evil Inclination does have seven names. So, there we go. And that is Suka 52A. By the way, uh, Gehenna has seven names. Messiah has seven names. That is crazy. Yeah, so the seven names, Ra, Tamei, Sonei, Evan Mishko, Orel, which is the uh, uncircumcised, Satan, and Zephoni. All right, so the evil inclination is not called man, but uh, yeah, Brugashem. So I apologize. That is crazy. You know, sometimes you think you know what you read and you're like, did I read that or did I not? No, I definitely read that. And it's like, no, no, I didn't. So I good. this is why it's good to have sources. All right. So anyway, 
back to reading sources. So talking to the evil inclination, it says that you need to, this is again back in the telling. Okay, so Tehillim chapter 4, verse 5, page 7b in the big green book. Rage internally against the animal soul, which is the evil inclination, with a voice of stormy indignation, saying to it, You are truly evil and wicked, abominable, loathsome, and disgraceful. Disgraceful. By the way, it says those things to you after it entices you to do dirty work. It's like, yeah, go ahead and do that sin over there. No, you really want to. And then you you give in and you submit and it's like, you're evil. You're truly evil. You're wicked. You're abominable. You're loathsome. You're disgraceful. It's like, oh, well, you weren't telling me that a minute ago. You were like my best friend to the end, you know, and it was just kind of like, no, I wasn't. I was just trying to get you to do that. And you did. So now I can call you these things. So for us, we actually can tell the Yatahara before it entices us to do our work that we can rage back against it, you know, cut the problem off before it starts, basically shut it down, says and so forth, using all the epithets by which our sages have called it. Uh, footnote says the Yatahara has seven names. God called it evil. Moses called it uncircumcised. David called it impure. Shlomo called it enemy. Yeshayahu called it stumbling block. Ezekiel called it stone. Joel called it hidden one. Sukkah 52a, which cites the verses for each name. Going back up top, it says, how long will you continue to hide the light of the blessed Ain Sof? Ain Sof means without end. So the light of the one who is without end, i.e. speaking of Hashem, how long will you continue to hide that light? How, how long will you continue to put it under a bushel? You know, covering up your light and stuff. I don't really have to say I believe in Yeshua. I'll just kind of, you know, let it be known by my actions or, you know, use other names and not really say Yeshua. How long will you do that? Back to the source. It says, which pervades all the world's. The Ain Sof, the light you're trying to conceal, it pervades all the worlds, by the way, which was, is, and and will be the same in every, or even in, in the very place where I stand, just as the light of the blessed Ain Sof was alone before the world was created. But you, repulsive one, speaking to the Atahara and so forth, deny the truth, which is so plainly visible. That all is truly is nothing in his presence. That's from the Tanya, chapter 29. So, you know, one of the things about the Yatahara, you know, you got to rage against it. Engage in a, a struggling match, if you will, with it to win before it even tries to, you know, get the first blow. So you're supposed to turn the other cheek, but not when it comes to the Yatahara. You take out his cheek first. Just an encouragement. All right, so Tehillim 24, which, by the way, on Yom Rishon, this is the song of the day. So we recite this at the end of our Shakarit service, Psalm 24. In verse 4, it says, He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not taken my name in vain nor 
or sworn falsely. So these kind of people, why do we need to be like that? It says, who may ascend the mountain of God? One of the uh, commentaries that caught my eye on page 43B in the Big Green book was keep climbing. You know, in the month of Tevet, you know, Rabbi Griffin, a.k.a. Captain Israel, has brought down we need to have the Tevet offensive. Fire in any direction. Whatever you got, use it. You know, do it to the best of your ability. On this insight, it says the mountain climber that stops progressing risks sliding backwards. So backsliding, let's think about this for a second. Backsliding actually comes from a person who is stagnant. It's really hard to backslide if you're making progress. Selah. So it says, likewise, in the service of God in our climbing or in climbing our personal mountain of spiritual progress, we must continually ascend higher and higher, not just to reach loftier heights, but to ensure that we do not regress. That is from Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak of Lubavitch. And going on, it says, ascending the mountain of God is a metaphor for approaching God with a fierce, everybody say fierce, fierce love, because love makes one soar to great heights. This is why Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, i.e. my commandments are my father's commandments because I and my father are one. But I need you to keep the commandments out of love. I need you to be fierce about your commandment keeping. Because that's what it's going to take to approach God. You have to have a fierce love. It says, because it makes one soar to great heights. Which the mountain of God is a great height. Because number one, it floats. You think Mount Sinai floated. Try Mount Zion. How about that? And it goes on to say, to successfully reach God on the wings of this love Really, I brought you to me on wings of eagles because that's the only way you can get to me. You got to fly. How are you going to fly? Got to have fierce love. What's that fierce love going to be? Devotion to Hashem. And it says, first, you need two things. First, it needs to be accompanied by clean hands, which are the twin impulses to spurn evil and do good. Second, that the person have a good heart, which means that his desire to become enraptured should stem not from the hope of personal spiritual gratification, but from his desire to become closer to God. That's from Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. What I really love about this is this is what shows us about what are we doing? How are we living? I.e. back to Vayaki. And he lived, which is what Vayaki means. So you got to think about this because sometimes we get put out with people who aren't on our same level as if we have a level, you know, like. Who do you think you are like, OK, so you study Midrash, so, you know, Gematria, so you're well versed in Halacha, you know, are you my rabbi? Are you on the bait Dean? And, uh, you know, are you lording yourself over me? 
Because that's what I need to ask right now. Are you are you doing that? Because Yeshua says that the, the Gentiles, they lord over one another, but not not us. We don't do that. We make ourselves subservient to one another. You know, so like. You got to think about that, like your whole reason of your super growth if you're striving like that, if you're going against Pure KFO chapter five, as I brought down in my previous segment, that, uh, you know, so you've been observant for a year and you've six months, you've just flown past everybody. You've surpassed, quote unquote, the rabbi and the leadership of the synagogue and of the P Judaism. The only reason you should be excelling like that is because you're desiring to come closer to God. And when you come closer to God, that should break your heart for people and cause you to yearn for them and pray for them. Lower yourself and serve them, not look down on them and lord yourself over them and be frustrated with them. You should have more compassion for people. You should have more love for people. You should have more generosity for people. Instead of spending your time venting, being angry or getting into disputes with people or grunting under your voice, grumbling, you know, instead of doing all that, give more tzedakah. Help people, you know, invite them to your Arab Shabbat table, you know, engage in conversations with the leadership. Ask them to help you, you know, with what's going on in your heart. You're like, hey, I'm learning this, da da da. Why we're not doing this? It's like, first of all, check your attitude because if you're gonna be a person who's a know-it-all, you better have a good attitude about yourself. Because uh, if you come in there with a, a twisted, sideways attitude, you're gonna get shut down at the door. Nobody want to listen to nobody with an attitude. You know, much rather hear, hey, I have a question, and here's where I'm coming from on it. And I just need some help and some guidance with it versus, hey, I need to talk to you because this and this is going on. And I just need to know what's up with that. It's like, OK, if you're already there with it, there's nothing I would there's nothing no one can say to you to help you. <laughs> the only thing that that's going to happen is when you give someone a chance to respond to your whatever predicament you now put that person in. That's just going to be fuel for your fire. So this is something that is super important for us as we're growing, you know, as Lapid, because, again, we love Hashem. You know, we enter into Torah through the Messiah anyway, as Lapid, we're Yeshua centered Judaism, for crying out loud, which means we're fierce people. We're all about the Messiah. So therefore, if people tell us we're not Jewish and we're behind in our observance and we're not real Jews and our synagogue is terrible and our rabbis are fake and all that kind of stuff, whatever kind of hate mail and hate posts and hate social media you get. It's just like, okay, so you're above that. So you're going to steam through a lot of things, you know, as far as speeding into like, oh man, I studied the Ali all day. I read the Torah portion. I looked at the Midrash says, I read all of Rashi this week, you know, and then I looked at some Mishnah and da, 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 da. And it's like, okay, so you, you're trying to act like a 13 year old and you're not even six months into Torah. Like you don't even know all 
of how you're supposed to prepare your house for Pesach. And you're going to come at us with this? You know, have you even kosher-rooted your kitchen? Do you even know, like, how to build a sukkah? Do you know how to wrap tefillin? Do you know how to tie zitzit? Oh, and by the way, do you know how to undo the knot at the back of the head tefillin? You know, if you're a woman, do you know the ins and outs of making challah? And do you know the ins and outs of nidah? You know, family purity, all that good stuff. Candle lighting. Are you are you lighting candles on time every week? You know, are you raising up and spiritually nurturing your household or the community and any kind of servant capacity? You know, these are things we got to ask ourselves before we think, oh, we know it all. And what's leadership doing and what's wrong with the community? What's wrong with the synagogue? Come on, people, get it together. Time's running out. By the way, no man knows the day or the hour, but if we sit around acting like we do, that's a problem. Okay, so Yeshua says today has enough troubles of its own. So we need to be focused on coming closer to God, because if we feel like we we are on this level, whatever that means, it should be for the sake of Hashem. And not for anything else. And so many times in the past, I myself included have been a part of this where you think, oh, man, I'm so like I'm striving for a sham. I'm throwing down like I'm dropping bombs. And people are like so amazed at like how much, you know, and da 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 da, And you get all puffed up and it's just like, yeah, so what's wrong with y'all? How come y'all aren't doing this? It's just like, first of all, you don't know a thing about pe- other people's lives. You only see them maybe once a week, if not more. You know, you don't spend every waking hour with them. You don't know what background they've come from. You don't know what challenges and struggles they're going through. And it's just kind of like, you want to think about that for a second before you take issue with people and get all sideways and cranky about it. We got to help each other. And we got to know that whatever talents and abilities that we have, That's for input. Okay, it's not for, okay, I'm doing this. How come you're not? That's not why we have these abilities. So anyway, that's uh, Psalm 24.4. Let's go to 51.12. The sound of flipping pages. (laughs) funny because I don't like that sound. Well, I do like that sound, but I, I like uh, the digital sources because I can quickly go to things. But anyway, got to have books, though. All right. So 5112 is on page 98B or 98A in the big green book. It says, create within me a pure heart, O God, and renew within me an upright spirit. Lev Tahor Bera Li Elohim Veruak Nakon Chadesh Be Kirbi. And I love this prayer because that's one of the prayers I say, you know, every single day, because we all got to be renewed every day. If we don't think that's the case, then uh, we might want to stop what we're doing 
return to Yeshua and start from there. Okay. Anyway, love that statement. All right. So anyway, it says, now that I have good intentions, assist me and support my heart so that it remains pure and upright so that the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, overcomes me no more. As our sages teach, those who seek to purify themselves receive assistance from on high. Shabbat 104a, also cited by Radak. Beautiful. Okay, and then finish up here with uh, the new heart as brought down by my favorite prophet. Yehezekiel, lots of passages. Let's see how fast we can go through this. All right, so 1119. Chapter 11, verse 19. By the way, how many times does it talk about a new heart, a clean heart and all that in Yehezekiel? One, two, three, four. Because, you know, when we receive the Ruach HaKodesh, that is what the uh, the new heart is. When we receive that renewal, that spiritual regeneration through our Amuna and Messiah, you know, like coming and attaching ourselves to Yeshua and all that goodness. You know, that's what the new heart is. So, 1119, it says... What's it say? It say this. It says a person's heart is often divided between his inclination to do good and his evil inclination. Sleeka, that is Rashi on Devarim 6.5, says I will give. Wait, 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 wait. Devarim 6.5. Hold up. Hold to the up. Because, yeah, that's the Shema, okay? Devarim 6.5, let's read it verbatim. Love Adonai your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Greatest commandment much? So when it talks about us having... This heart that is supposed to be connected to the new spirit and removing the heart of stone and all that kind of stuff says our our inclinations need to be undivided. Says I will give them a heart filled with awe and reverence for me. That's from the Targum so that they will no longer be inclined to commit abominations. That's from the Radak. Ruach Hadash. Going along with this undivided heart, which is new spirit. It says the gematria, the numerical value of this is the equivalent of chadasha, like brit hadasha, the covenant of renewal, i.e. what we read in the Gospels, the account of Acts, and the gerot, which is the letters, and also revelation that whole canon Brit Hadashah 
commonly called New Testament. That is a new heart. So again, back to our previous talk, there's nothing new in the New Testament. The Hadasha, the Hadasha, 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 same word. Chet Dalit Shin Hey. Doing some gematria. Stand by. Say, we got the uh, say, which is lamb. Then we got. Okay. Just trying to look if there's any other words in here. Okay. Anyway. So, Chadashah 317. Okay, so when we're looking at the new heart, the new heart is the same thing that we find in the oral Torah. Because nothing new in the New Testament, nothing new in the Brit Hadashah, is because it's all in the oral Torah. It's all in the written Torah. And that's all being renewed through the Messiah Yeshua, i.e. Mashiach ben Yosef, who will be returning as Mashiach ben David. So between the two Mashiachs, we have been given the new heart, the new spirit. And that's what that's all about. Okay, so the the new spirit, the Ruach Hadash, Ruach Hadashah, Slika, is the equivalent of 317, which is the same gematria of the good inclination. So when they're talking about this Ruach, they key in on the word Hadashah, because Hadashah is what the Ruach is. It's a renewal. And it says that Hadashah is 317. And it says that this is the same gematria as Yetzir Tov. So the Yetzir Tov and Hadashah are the same gematria. And it says this is the good inclination. Thus, the new spirit represents the desire to come closer to God and to do good deeds. All right. So there's that. It says a person understands depth and beauty of the Torah in proportion to his perception of Hashem. When Hashem manifested himself to Israel at the time of the Exodus, the nation achieved a high level of awareness of him and Torah. So as it is with Hashem, so it is with his Torah. That's crazy. Okay, it says the greater miracles of the Messianic era will raise Israel to an even higher level. Kedushat Levi. Yes, I did key in on greater because Yeshua says greater works than these that you will do. Because, you know, he's getting us ready for the Messianic era. So anyway, that's all commentary from Art Scroll. On Yehezekiel eleven nineteen. So let's skip over to eighteen thirty-one. Please enjoy this page flipping while your party waits. Hopefully don't wait too long. All right, eighteen thirty-one. Glorious year it was, sitting on the plains of Mamre. Not really, just kidding. Okay, it says, who does not do all these? 
So, well, that was verse 13. How about verse 31? Verse 31, shall we? That one time where 13 and 31 are really the same numbers, but just backwards. That's what just happened. All right, so it says, cast off from upon yourselves all your transgressions. Cast them off through regret and repentance. That's from Radak, Abarbanel, and Medzudot. The thing I love about this is this is what uh, G. Shekel brought down in his commentary this week uh, from the sources that uh, for the final redemption, to make it through this exile, what we have to do is know that uh, our merit for speeding up the exile to bring us into the final redemption is through our acts of repentance. And this is all led by Messiah ben Yosef. So I want to just connect that to the Hebrews passage that says through the mediator of a new covenant, i.e. new covenant being the renewal of the original covenant, because that's what that means, that it's through repentance and regret. And that's what we have to do to Tikkun. Uh, and the more we can do that, the quicker this exile will be finished up. It's kind of like helping the uh, the grain of sand, you know, in the little time thing, you know, the little uh, time glass and there's sand that drips down. It's like you can just shake that thing and make the sand go down faster, you know, or tap the glass or whatever and be like, come on, sand, drain out, drain out. Come on. You know, and that's our repentance and our regret. Again, this is the yoke of Yeshua. He says that you should uh, be humble, you know, learn from me. I am low. You know, be, make yourself low. Quit lording yourself over people. Speed up the exile. All right, 36.24, still in Yehezekiel. Try not to read 36.42. There might not even be a 42 in chapter 36, but, you know. 36.24. All right, what we got? No, y'all didn't. Y'all wrong for that. Y'all skipped it. All right, but uh, we're going to talk about this, though, in 25, because he says, then, so after you get uh, this new spirit, he says, I will take you from the nations, this is verse 24, take you from the nations, gather you out from all the countries, and bring you back. So Yeshua's, Hashem is basically saying, I'm going to make you do Teshuvah, okay? And then he says in verse 25, I will sprinkle pure water upon you that you may become cleansed. I will cleanse you from all your contamination, from all your idols. It says, I will absolve you and cleanse you. Yes, absolve like what Yeshua did to Kepha. Kepha was dead wrong, like three times over. Yeshua was like absolved, absolved, absolved. Why? Because Kepha has fierce love for Hashem and he broke his heart and repentance and regret. But when he saw Yeshua, he was like, man, I'm so sorry. You know, like he didn't go, oh, there's Yeshua. I'm so broken. I'm so regretful. I don't ever want to see him again. I'm so, that's called shame. But we need to have regret, which is where we see Hashem. We see Yeshua. We see the Torah. We see the community. And we go, I was so wrong, y'all. I'm so sorry. We can do that. That's what you get the, that's how you get absolved. Okay, so absolve you, cleanse you of your defilement by figuratively Sprinkling on you the pure waters of the red cow, the red heifer. 
So the whole thing about swallowing up death and victory, which happens at the end of this exile, Baruch Hashem. The only way to get there, though, we have to be cleansed, we have to be absolved. How do we do that? Regret, teshuva, all that wonderfulness. It says, which purify the defilement brought about by the dead, cited by Rashi. You were compared to a woman who requires immersion in a mikvah to be spiritually cleansed, i.e. to be brought back from death. Because, uh, you know, it says that uh, we need those sprinkled waters of the red cow because there's a defilement of death that happens. And so like a woman, when she goes into the mikvah, it's like she's been purified from death. So there's that. Uh, anyway, it says, I will cleanse your defilement by sprinkling on you the purifying waters. That's from the Mahari Kara. <coughs> Sika, homiletically, pun intended, is what that basically means. The sages from Bhava Kama 17a teach that, in essence, water alludes to the Torah. Thus, the pure water of our verse is Torah study. You got to be sprinkled with Torah study, which are like the waters of a mikvah that a woman immerses herself in after ritual impurity of being in Nida. And also like a person who's been defiled by death or the dead, i.e. the red heifer. So all of that sums up into the water of Torah study. This applies not only to the study hall, but to the marketplace as well. So if you share a tour at work, you watch the Yaliyah Day at work, you're getting sprinkled with pure waters, being purified from death, being brought from a state of ritual impurity into a state of purity. Okay, then it says, when one conducts business according to the laws of Torah, one is equally sprinkled with pure water. That's from the Me'or Naim. So are you a person who owns your own business? Are you an ethical business dealer? Then get you some because you're getting purified with pure water, i.e. like Torah study. So you running your business ethically is like studying Torah. Get you some. Okay, this is from the Revid Hazahav. It says Hashem does not say I will purify you. He gives us the potential and the resources. It's up to us to use them properly to purify ourselves. Again, that's Ravid Hazahav. Okay, a couple of minutes left. 3626. Let's kill it. All right, 3626. I will remove the heart of stone. Okay, and it says, I will give you a new heart before that. So it says, verse 26, it says, Your heart will be renewed so that it will incline to do good. That's Rashi. Rather than to idolatry. That's Maharikara. And so that you will accept the word of Hashem with love. That's from the Radak. Why does Yeshua say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments? Because you'll be given a new heart and you will. And it says, your lust will be redirected. Instead of a powerful desire for sin and for satisfying your animal appetites, your intellect will control your heart and you will be influenced to desire what is good and holy and positive. That's from the Abarbanel. This is why Shaul says you should set your mind on things that are pure, lovely, good, all that wonderfulness. He wrote that in a letter. Guess what? He's just quoting something that's already brought down in Torah. So Baruch Hashem, may we have new hearts. 
And may we truly live, even in the midst of exile, unto the final redemption, waiting so fervently and so anticipatingly for the day of Messiah, no matter how long it takes. Baruch Abab Hashem Adonai. All right, so let's let the fireworks go here. Uh, just going to unleash everything that I've kind of noted for uh, the <clears throat> Parsha Sleeka. Hang on. Baruch Hashem. All right, still getting over my little congestion, so I apologize for clearing my throat and your ear and uh, sniffles and all that. But anyway, just uh, some of the things I've taken down as notes. So, Lakute Sakot, volume 10, pages 160 through 166, says, uh, by resisting the enticements of Egypt, this is commentary on Bereshit 4728, Talking about Jacob lived 17 years in Egypt. Says, furthermore, by resisting the enticements of Egypt, Egypt being the prototype of all the exiles, by the way. So let's take that to today. So the current exile we're in is the exile of Esau, the exile of Edom, the exile of Rome, all synonymous. <clears throat> What's Esau all about? all about our passions and our own like animalistic desires and drives and arrogance and haughtiness and anti-Torah lawlessness, all that kind of stuff. So by resisting these enticements, Yaakov's children grew in a way that's only possible when we're faced with challenges. Okay. So when we're faced with challenges and we're resisting these, these enticements. I mean, who doesn't want to go out on a Saturday and go shopping during the day and go eat at restaurants and all that? But I love Hashem more. Who doesn't want to go have a triple bacon cheeseburger, as gross as that sounds now? But that used to be my thing back in the day, pre-Torah. But, uh, you know, I love Hashem more. No food is going to keep me away from my God. Just saying. Hashem tells me to eat chocolate donuts for the rest of my life. I'll do it. But he just told us we have to eat kosher. So there's way more kosher food than chocolate donuts. Even though I want to have a chocolate donut first and then I can eat whatever else. You know, Bezrat Hashem, it's a par of chocolate donut. So that way, whether I have a meat meal or a dairy meal, it won't matter. But anyway, I'm digressing. Okay, so this is why Yaakov's best years were those that he spent in Mitzrayim, Egypt. For it was only there that he could see that his children have fully absorbed his moral instruction and guidance. See, we can think we know and we can think we're so like in it to win it if we don't have any challenges. But the moment we have challenges, the moment something comes up that's like, man, it's going to test whether or not you can study the Torah today, whether you can listen to the Aliyah day, whether you can get that prayer time in and all that. How you handle that, how you deal with that, how you navigate it, that's going to show whether or not you fully absorb what you think you have. Because most people, myself included, because I've been here, because I thought I knew it all at one point. I was like, Rabbi, what you think you're doing? 
And he was just like, yeah, just uh, getting me some. What are you doing? I was like, thinking I know more than you. And I was just like, oh, really? Okay. <clears throat> I mean, it's literally like, how do you think you know more than me? You just got here. Like, you didn't know anything about Torah yesterday. It's like, I know, Rabbi, but I've studied so much. It's like, oh, really? And in my 22 years of service, I haven't? It's like, yeah, but Rabbi, you're old and stuff. I mean, I didn't really say that to him, but it's just kind of like, come on. We are young. We're energetic. We got time on our hands. We study a lot. We can grapple with things faster. Come on, Rabbi. Like, you know, we got this. Like, what are you doing over there? It's like, first of all, homeboy, you're way out of line. You're disrespecting your leadership. You think you know it all. You're so young. Parents who have children, you probably feel the same way. I'm probably preaching to the Levites over here. Because the Levites are the original choir, but I digress. Because it's like, you you tell your children, um, you know, take your jacket today. It's cold outside. Mom, Dad, what do you know? Just leave me alone. I got this. Then what do we do? We get outside. We freeze our tuchus off. And then we're like, oh, I should have listened to my parents. Get home. Hey, how was your day today? Good. It was great. It was so awesome. It's like, did you freeze? No. I was fine the whole time. I was totally fine. I didn't need my coat. No, and good and well, you were just like, man, I was so cold. I wish I would have listened to you. Anyway, so that's what challenges and, and uh, pressures will do to you. It'll make you see, do you really know as much as you think you know? Are you really as solid as you think you are? Anyway, it says... He now knew that the divine mission begun by his grandfather, Abraham, would continue. He's like, look at this. My whole family growing more and more Jews every day. Joseph's converting the nations because the nations are coming to Egypt because there's a famine going on. Nations are becoming Jewish. They're doing stuff that Abraham would teach about. And then my own family who came down here, they're all growing and this is all happening outside the promised land. This is happening during a time of exile. This is during happening during a time where like, man, like, are there any Jews anywhere? And it's just like, yeah, there are. There's plenty. There's thousands there's, or hundreds who haven't bowed the knee to Baal to borrow from the passage in the Kings where Eliyahu was before Shem talking about, man, are there any prophets left? I'm the only one. And Shem's like, Psh. Eliyahu, I got so many prophets. He's like, boy, I got so many. Boy, I got so many. To my rappers out there, y'all might know about that. Boy, I got so many. Boy, I got so many. Okay, anyway. So, yeah. So, Yaakov is like, okay, cool. The mission is going to be successful. I can die now in Shalom because the family's got this. Last part, it says, similarly, we often find ourselves in, quote unquote, Egypt in places of spiritual darkness, like Yaakov and his family, through studying the Torah, we remain safe from the darkness of Mitzrayim and reveal godliness even there. Again, that's Lakute Sukkot, volume 10, pages 160 through 166. So I love this because Yaakov's perspective of all this was from the land of Goshen, which again, Goshen has the same letters as the dreidel. So 
the dreidel that we played with back in Hanukkah. And if you didn't, you need to repent. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Dreidel is not like a requirement. It's like, oh, no, you lost your Olam Haba because you didn't play dreidel. No, no, no. I was just, that's a big joke, everybody. I'm just kidding. But you should have played dreidel. <laughs> anyway. All right. So the letters on the dreidel, when you look at the dreidel, it's made, it's preferably made out of wood. And there's a post that goes in it. That post goes in the middle of all those letters, which spell out Goshen, which have the same gematria as Mashiach. So Mashiach is on a post when you look at the dreidel. So you're looking at a picture of the crucifixion. But this is also Yaakov inside of Goshen. So when Yaakov was inside the land where we were exiled to, which is likened to Messiah being on the crucifixion stake, i.e. the dreidel, from inside the dreidel, looking around at those who are resisting the enticements of the exile, who are faced with challenges and still enduring, that as they're studying Torah, and revealing godliness into the world by all of these actions. It's like, Baruch Hashem, like, this is, this is awesome. We're, we're safe from the darkness of Egypt. The mission of Abraham is prospering. The good news, i.e., of redemption is going forth to all mankind, i.e., divine sparks are being gathered in. So as long as I'm inside the dreidel and that's what's going on, Baruch Hashem. This is why Yeshua says you have to take up your crucifixion stake, your staros, because that's what the Greek word is. Take up your tree and follow me. So you need to be inside the dreidel. So even while we're in the midst of exile until the final redemption, we need to be in, uh, resisting the enticements of the exile that we're growing despite our challenges, which is tough. And then we're also studying Torah and bringing light into the darkness. Okay, so the next thing it says, this is from Rabbi GQ, also known as Rabbi Greenbaum. The Torah teaches us that the main life of a Zodic is in the next world. For those of us who are attaching ourselves to Hashem, his righteousness is placed upon us. So we are we can be called Zadokim. It says, so uh, our main life is in the next world. It's not in this one. So with that being said, our days in this world are not considered significant. All right, so. Continuing on with his commentary, it says, even if a person lives a thousand years, his lifetime passes as swiftly as the shadow of a flying bird, alluding to Tehillim 102.12 and First Chronicles. Also cross-reference with Bereshit Rabbah says that moment, the moment a man dies, it seems to him as if he left through one door and entered through another one. Zadokim are like strangers visiting a foreign land. They constantly think about their homes and their families and cannot wait to return. So, side note, 
Kepha in his letter, Peter in his letter says, we shall live as sojourners in this world. We should live as strangers in this world, strangers in a foreign land. There's an old, old uh, hymn, which, by the way, is what the word Hallel is uh, translated from. So people, when they say, oh, I want to sing a spiritual hymn, it's like, oh, you want to sing part of the Hallel? Because Hallel uh, translates into hymn. Okay, the Hebrew word Hallel, which is uh, a series of psalms starting with Psalm 113. It's actually a rabbinic commandment, if you really want to get down to it. But anyway, it's in our Siddur. The Hallel is in the Siddur. Get you some of that. Anyway, you can read commentary about that. So there's an old Hallel that says, God me, oh, thy great Hashem, pilgrim through this barren land. God me, oh, thou great. And it keeps going. So it basically just repeats all that kind of stuff. And so it's a really cool hymn. And I got to be a part of that in the in the church when I was young. They don't say Hashem. They say some false divine name that starts with a J, but. You know, won't go there. But uh, the point is, is that Hashem needs to guide us through this this time where we're pilgriming through a foreign land. It's like, yeah, just like this comment right here. It's found in Torah. It's found in the Psalms. <laughs> anyway, last part, it says, we therefore see that all Zadokim mentioned their death verbally. Goodness. Regarding Abraham, it says, I am going to my final resting place, childless. He said that in Bereshit 15.2. Regarding Yitzhak in Bereshit 27.4, because Yitzhak said that. And then uh, it says, this is because they knew that they would not attain true perfection on a physical plane. <coughs> says, this can only be attained in the next world. That's from Bereshit Rabbah. Going on, it says, One sees that Yaakov had troubles all his life. First, Esau wanted to kill him. Then he fled to Padan Aram. Eliphaz intercepted him, which is the son of Esau. Goodness. Esau is supposed to be all like, yeah, I'm super godly, right? And it's like, yeah, go kill Son, I need you to go kill your uncle. It's like, I thought you were godly. It's like, yeah, I am. Go kill him. Go kill the Jews. Ouch. Anyway, continuing on. That's the Eliphaz Midrash. Eliphaz didn't do it, though. Eliphaz is like, I can't kill you, Yaakov. Yaakov's like, yeah, you can. You can take all my stuff. Because if I'm left for poor... It's considered as if I'm dead. So if you just go ahead and rob me, it's as if you've killed me. Thanks for not killing me, side note, and thank you for the respect. I like your Abba over there. Anyway, uh, so that happened. It says, so Eliphaz intercepted him, took all his possessions, leaving him virtually naked and without food. It says he did not even have a pillow upon which to lay his head. Yeshua said, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I don't even have a pillow. It's like, oh, you mean like Yaakov? It's like, yep, pretty much.
But him and I are both called a lamb of God anyway. So, I mean, you know, what are we really talking about here? Going on says he then went on to live with Levon Laban, where he served as a shepherd for 20 years through the heat of the day and the frost of the night. Bereshit 3140. There's a beautiful Midrash. Talks about what that looked like. Like the whole thing that we uh, see with the fire and the hell and the Egyptian uh, plagues that uh, Yaakov went through that as he was out in the fields. Like it was like some serious, intense, like natural elements of just chaos. And like he endured all that. He still shepherded through all that. And it's like, what in the world? Like, are you serious? And it's like, that's for us to know. That just like our forefather Yaakov, like we need to endure this exile through the frost and through the heat. And it's like, man, that sounds like enduring Gehenna. It's like, yeah, because Gehenna has six months of heat and it also has six months of snow. And you have a full 12 years of Gehenna. You're going to go through the heat of the day and the frost of the night. So there's that. So if you can endure the exile, that's what you that's what we're up against. So everybody better stay suited up. <laughs> it's going to get a little bumpy. Turbulence is expected. All right. And then it says during these years, he even went without sleep. Side note, uh, Zohar Vayigash talked about 60 hand breaths or 60 breath, sleek, 60 breaths. And it says that this is the sleep of David. He took like 60 breaths worth of sleep. And there's a whole crazy dropout on it. But it's basically saying that David barely slept because he didn't want to sleep long enough to become impure, which happens after being asleep for a certain amount of time. So David would make sure that if he did sleep, he didn't sleep too long as to where he would become impure. Because at a certain point during our sleep, our soul leaves our body and it goes up to Shemaim and then Hashem returns it to us upon our awakening. And so we experience one sixtieth of death, which was tied to the whole 60 breaths. And so it was like David wanted to make sure that he didn't experience death uh, while he was here. So he only slept a little bit. And so like it's this whole thing that ties us back here to where Yaakov went without sleep during the time he was with Levon for 20 years. So this is part of the challenges that he endured. Not saying for us that we need to go without sleep, but it's just saying like, this is the level at where, you know, Yaakov and David were like, if we want to look down upon them, let's just think about their, uh, their disposition. Like they went without sleep. This is like the, the priest on Yom Kippur that he has to stay up during that whole time frame. So beginning era of Yom Kippur that evening, as we go into Yom Kippur, all the way through Yom Kippur day and all the way in through that Havdalah, like he doesn't sleep that whole time. The same way Yeshua didn't sleep from the 14th of Nisan all the way up until his death. Like he had his Seder with his Talmudim, Still awake, Garden of Gethsemane, still awake, all throughout the night until the early morning, still awake, going through all these terrible trials. By the way, he didn't eat, so he was fasting. So uh, there's that, Selah. So like a Yom Kippur going on, even with Yeshua being like the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur, 
like Yeshua was doing that same thing on Pesach. Like he stayed up all night, all the way through the next day, even through the crucifixion, he stayed awake until he ultimately fell asleep at his death. Anyway, so that's a little drop on 60 breaths. Uh, some Zohar from Parsha by Yigash. Anyway, it says, aside from cheating him by substituting Leah for Rachel, Levon also tricked Yaakov many other times, constantly changing the conditions of his employment. Do you ever feel duped or gypped at any point in this exile? Like, you ever feel like, oh my gosh, I feel like nothing ever works out. Well, welcome to the family. Endure. And on that note, <laughs> I want to share with you uh, this drop. This is all Rabbi GQ right now. Rabbi Greenbaum on Parsha Vayaki. So he says this, he says, according to tradition, the 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 uh, burial procession of of Yaakov, like the all the sons are taking Yaakov back to the cave of Machpelah to bury him in the land. Right. So it says, according to tradition, this took place during Hanukkah time. Jacob's ascent, his histalkus is what it's called, histalkut is the Sephardi way to say it, which is what they usually say when someone dies. So, so and so had their histalkut, their death, which is called an ascent. It says, so Yaakov died by tra according to tradition on the 15th of Tishrei, the 15th day of the seventh month which corresponds to the first night of Sukkot. Sukkot. So the day that we celebrate erecting the tabernacle, building the temple, celebrating the clouds of glory, that's when Yaakov died. It's like, wait, what? But then we have the, comment the commentary in this week's Torah portion where it says Yaakov didn't really die. And that's why Yosef actually leaned on him and kissed him and all that kind of stuff because yeah, I mean, Yosef kissed him and all that kind of stuff, even after Yaakov pulled his feet into the bed and his he gave up the ghost because that's what the text says that he gave up the ghost. It doesn't say Vimet like he died. It actually says he gave up the ghost, which is uh, I believe it's uh, I can't remember the Hebrew word off the top of my head. But yes, it does say he gave up the ghost. Anyway, so he died, but not really. And so this was on the 15th of Tishrei, 15th day of the seventh month. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. It says the Egyptians wept for him for 70 days. Guess what happened 70 days after Sukkot, y'all? Hanukkah, Hanukkah, light the menorah. Yeah, that's right. So we're going to start this whole Let's go take the body of Yaakov to the cave of Machpelah. Let's do that on Hanukkah. So you got what looks like the children of Israel in the wilderness, because it says that when they took Yaakov back to um, the cave of Machpelah, they were arranged just like the tribes were arranged around the ark in the wilderness. So this was considered to be a rehearsal for that upcoming time. So, yeah, this is a Hanukkah drop. It says the Egyptians wept for 70 days upon which Yosef and his brothers went up to Israel to bury him. 
The 70th day after the 15th of Tishrei is the 25th of Kislev, which is the first day of Hanukkah. The initial letters of the four Hebrew words in the verse and the dweller of the land of the Canaanite saw. The first letters of each of those four words in the Hebrew are the permutation of the name of Hashem that holds sway in the month of Kislev, which is the month of Hanukkah. Says, see Kavanot of Rosh Chodesh Musaf prayers. So basically what they just said, the when you look at that verse, the dweller of the land of the Canaanites saw the first letters are the same letters of the Yod and He with the Vav and He, but arranged in the arrangement that Hashem's name is during the month of Kislev. Because Hashem's name rearranges 12 different ways and it corresponds to the 12 months of the Hebrew calendar. So the month of Kislev has a certain arrangement and the way that it was arranged for the month of Kislev is the way that it's arranged in the first letters of each of these Hebrew words in this particular verse. Where the Canaanites are looking at this procession of the sons of Yaakov taking his body up to the cave of Machpelah from Egypt. So, yeah, that's all happening during Hanukkah. So now we have eight days of Sukkot. We have eight days of Hanukkah. Hanukkah and Sukkot are literally connected because the eight days of Hanukkah correlate to the eight days of Sukkot. And there's uh, we say the Hallel, by the way, on Hanukkah. And we say the Hallel during Sukkot. There's all that to take into account. But anyway, this is to connect the death and the burial of who's the one who's called the Lamb of God who didn't really die. That is Yaakov. Anyway, says there is an integral concept uh, connection between Yaakov's funeral procession and Hanukkah, which is the time of the inauguration of the temple. Is it any coincidence then why the only account of Hanukkah we have in the Gospels is John chapter 10, where Yeshua is at the temple during the time of rededication, or shall we say re-inauguration? And everybody was like, are you the Messiah? He's like, I told you already. It's been 70 days. Have you forgotten? Because during Sukkot, that same year, Yeshua was like, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me. And it's like, what do you mean? Are you saying you're the Messiah or something? He's like, I'm going to let you figure that one out because in so many words, that's what I said. But if you didn't believe that, I told you so many other things, including, yeah, I am the Messiah. But anyway, I'm divine and stuff. But, you know, before Abraham was, I am, you know, something greater than the temple is here. Tear down this temple. I rebuild it in three days. Shall I go on? Anyway, so the inauguration of the temple, Hanukkah, the Jacob's funeral procession, it's all connected. The revelation of the Messiah, Hanukkah, Yaakov's funeral procession, inauguration of the temple. All happened same time. It's, it's during the same time on the calendar, not at the same time, literally. But, you know, there's no time in Torah. So, I mean, there's that. 
tours outside of time and stuff. So did it happen at the same time? Continuing on. Says Yaakov's 12 sons, the holy house of Israel, under the leadership of Yosef, the Zadik, were taking Yaakov, the archetypal house builder, to his final eternal house and home in the cave of Machpelah, the resting place of Adam and Hava, as well as the patriarchs and matriarchs. The funeral procession was a rehearsal for the formation in which the 12 tribes would bring the Ark of the Covenant up from the wilderness and into the Holy Land. This is a paradigmatic of the building of the Holy Temple, the house of God on the spot where Yaakov had his dream of the ladder. And he said the verse, this is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of Shemaim. Bereshit 28.17 It says that place is alluded to in the opening word of the Torah, Bereshit. The letters of which, when rearranged, spell out Bayit Rosh. The house that is upon the head, or the house that is head, which equals the Tefillin Shell Rosh. Okay, so the tefillin that guys wear on their head, between their eyes, above the hairline, that represents the Beit Rosh, which is the house that is head, which is all about the temple. So we're wearing a temple on our head, by the way, and we're the temple. So we're wearing a temple on the temple. What in the world? Because there's two temples. There's a temple in Shemayim and there's a temple on Haaretz, on the earth, which Bezrat Hashem, the the temples rebuilt speedily in our days, and so that can actually be a true statement. But, I mean, really, the temple from Shemayim is going to come down on earth, so what is that really? Okay, anyway, two temples become one. Baruch Hashem, we already had two temples destroyed, which two temples are one. But yet the temple above has not been destroyed, and it can't be destroyed. So that's the third and final temple that we're waiting on. So three is really one because the two are really one, but then the two are found in the one. So that's how three is one. And it's not a trinity. I went really fast on that. I apologize. I don't have time to break that down, but I think you got it. I believe in you. Okay. Says it was to that place that Yosef promised his brothers that they would return from Mitzrayim. When he says in Bereshit 50, 24, God will surely redeem you and bring you up from this land to or which he swore to Abraham and to Yitzhak and to Yaakov. So Yosef is like, guys, we're taking our Abba up here right now and it's Hanukkah and all that kind of stuff. And in the future, it's going to be during the inauguration of the temple. Messiah is going to be asked if he's the Mashiach and all sorts of stuff. But just know. What we're doing right now, eventually this is going to happen in the future. At some point, God is going to redeem us and bring us out of Egypt. So please bring my bones with you. And they're like, okay. All right. So uh, the final thing I want to share here. No, not the final thing. Just kidding. Don't want to get my hopes up. Uh, there is a big thing about being strengthened. Where did I put that? All right. I have to go. Uh, let's see here. Do, 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 do. 
We can do this. All right. Thank you, Prep Day, for queuing this up. All right, so this is from G. Shekel now. So the Hufter this week is um, about Shlomo being blessed by David. So this is what G. Shekel brings down. He says, this week's Haftarah portion from the prophets is related to the weekly Torah portion. As Jacob blesses his sons, so too David blesses his son, Shlomo. And he's going on about First uh, Kings, which is Malachim Aleph, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. It says, now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Shlomo, his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. So be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Which, by the way, this is the same thing that Matid Yahu said to his children uh, in the Hanukkah story, as recounted in the Maccabees. And also the same thing Hashem said to Yehoshua after the death of Moshe. In Yehoshua chapter 1, verse 9, he says, Be strong. The phrase ve chazakat. And then it says, This reminds me of the below verse from the book of Joshua, where Hashem spoke to Yehoshua after the death of Moshe, our teacher. Have I not commanded you, be strong, chazak, and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for Hashem, your God, is with you wherever you go. Yehoshua 1.9 says, And keep the charge of Hashem your God to walk in His ways, to keep His statutes, His commandments, His judgments, His testimonies, as it is written in the Torah of Moshe. In other words, keep everything. Everybody say everything. The whole thing. The whole kit and caboodle. Written Torah, old Torah, new Torah, old Torah, today's Torah, yesterday's Torah, tomorrow's Torah. All of it. Keep it says that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that Hashem may fulfill his word, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, i.e. their good inclination and their evil inclination, their clean heart, their new heart, their pure heart, clean hands, all that good stuff. He said, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's from Malachim Aleph, 1 Kings, chapter 2, 3 through 4. Be strong. So breaking this all down, it says, keep the charge of Hashem, walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, commandments, judgments, testimonies. Take heed to your way. Walk before him in truth with all your heart and with all your soul. This is what Shaul also told to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If you truly want to live before his holy presence, this is now G. Shekel's words. Obey his voice. The one who created you and keep his word. Be strong. Chazak. And since we're now concluding one sefer of Torah, what do we say at the end of concluding the Sefer? Chazak, chazak, venit chazek, which is be strong, be strong, and may we be strengthened. So yeah, 
a whole lot of strengthening, strong, new heart, revelation, amazingness, and drop kicks to the face and all that good stuff. I think it's so fitting that it's like at this one time on the calendar, it's like as we're going into a super hard month, the fast of the 10th of Tibet is coming up for those who can do that. Uh, the whole thing about the Torah being translated into Greek, Selah, okay, and then uh, connected to the destruction of the temple because the whole siege uh, from Babylon and all that stuff was starting to happen during this time. It's a dark time of the year. Uh, the nations are celebrating like, you know, Xmas and New Year's and they're getting ready for Valentine's and all this crazy stuff. And so it's just like, we just finished Hanukkah. We just celebrated victory. And it's like, good. Now that you celebrated victory, now it's time to go to work. And it's like, okay, bring it. And it's like, Hashem is like, all right, so you're now concluding the Sefer Bereshit and going into Shemot, focusing on the Exodus and looking towards the Pesach and looking towards the Sukkot and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, great, because that's the strength that's before your face that Hashem wants you to grab a hold of. And it's like, and also since y'all are Avengers, Everybody needs to stay suited up and, you know, make it make this thing just off the hook and bring the redemption. And how do we do that? We lower ourselves. We be strong. We be strengthened. We uh, refrain from the enticements of the exile. We, uh, you know, reach out and share that light with people. And we just live fiercely for God, like full of love, full of compassion. And uh, we hold it down in our personal lives. You know, striving against ourselves, striving against our own yet to heart to have an undivided heart before Shem. So may it be so. Everyone be strengthened, be strong. And again, uh, let's blow it up with the Tibet uh, offensive, you know, like fire in all directions, whatever you can do and whatever you got, like bring it, take it to the max. You know, be a good father, be a good mother, be a good teacher, be a good employer, be a good driver on the road, you know, be a good shopper at the grocery store, be a good cook, be a good eater of challah. Okay, whatever you got, do it. Baruch Hashem. May it be soon in our days that the final redemption is revealed with the gathering in of the exiles and the new Yerushalayim. Amen. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam natah betokeinu. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Amen. Baruch abah b'shem Adonai. This will conclude the Go series, the G-O series, the Game Face Own series. Thank you for tuning in, and we will look forward to uh, what comes up next in the series of Get You Psalms for the podcast for Shomer Man. To the glory of Hashem and to seeing the Messiah soon in our days, may we merit seeing his arrival and may it be miraculous and glorious. Till then, stay violent.